welcome to The Three Good Podcast, a weekend podcast where I talk about all things to do with positive psychology, well-being, resilience, mental health and emotional intelligence. I'm your host, Sukhpavia. Hi folks and happy Sunday to you. I hope you're having a good weekend. I've had a good weekend so far, although be a full one. On Friday, I was at the CIPD Northern Area Partnership Conference. Had a really good day there. Lots of good discussion, lots of good thinking going on. Really enjoyable to meet with good friends uh, who are in all in that space and having just some good time, good thinking time. And that's valuable to me. I enjoy it when I get to be able to have that and do that well. Yesterday I had a family event I had uh, went to attend. It was really great to see all my family. These days, the larger extended family. And I'm, I come, I'm, I'm Sikh and Indian. And so it's quite par for the norm that we have very large extended families. And we only really get to see each other at main family events. So it was really nice to see most of my family there yesterday. And then in the evening, I had to... Um, we went out for a meal for uh, for my nephew, and that was really enjoyable too. Good food. It's our favourite family restaurant. Um, it's for anybody who's interested. It's in Saint Catherine Dock. It's an Indian restaurant called Marla. We've been going there for I think now fifteen years, and it's such a good place. It's got it's in St Catherine's Dock, which is a great part of London. It's just outside of Tower Hill, Tower Bridge area. The and it's lovely views of yachts and boats, all docked and you know all available to kind of just walk around and enjoy. But the setting is just really nice as well. A great atmosphere. It's always a great atmosphere there, no matter what time of year you're there. And today had a good day at home actually just chilling out relaxing sitting back and kicking back got to do um got to couple of, tidy up a couple of admin pieces i needed to do got the kids uniforms already ironed i am ahead of the game and it's four o'clock in the afternoon i'm feeling quite good i'm actually surprised i've got some time to do some recording for the podcast so in today's podcast i wanted to talk about happiness and I want to talk about how in positive psychology, the, the topic of happiness is actually a bit controversial, which might sound like it's quite an odd thing, because why would happiness be a controversial topic? And the main reason is that it's, it's not actually not something which most psychologists try and study. They do in that they want to see if you can measure happiness and you can measure happiness. There are ways of being able to do that. So that's not in question. It's not about the research methodologies. It's not about the academia or the thinking that goes into whether or not there is uh, happiness exists as a state. We know it does. We absolutely know it does. And you know, it, it's not just psychologists who have studied happiness. You know, economists, they measure it. Um, Psychologists clearly do, philosophers write about it, think about it, talk about it. It's a it's a regular topic, you know, it's something in the American constitution, they talk about the pursuit of happiness. And so there's there's very regular talk about how do we help people be happy. 
one of the re one of the things that makes it a contentious issue is that happiness is a transient state and when you start to realize that you start to realize that you can't maintain a state of happiness it's just not possible our day-to-day -day lives don't are not designed to be able to sustain an ongoing level of happiness it's just not how we are so for example when you get when you get hungry and even if you get hangry you're you're more preoccupied with needing to be fed than whether or not you're happy you might enjoy eating and you might enjoy what your uh, you know the cooking aspect or wanting to find a way to enjoy the meal and that's all you know that's all that can all happen but the act of eating and the need to eat isn't about making you happy it's about your physiological state of the body needing food needing sustenance of some kind so at that moment the body and the mind is not concerned about well am i happy in this moment it's more concerned with i need to be fed similarly you get to a natural point of the day where you're you're tired and you need to rest again that's not necessarily about the body being in a happy state or you being happy that you need to go to sleep it's that your body needs to rest and you need to go to sleep in order to feel more energized the next day and that you have the energy to to get up and do all the things that you want to be able to do the next day so again in that state you know it's not about whether or not happiness is needed it's just that the sleep is more important so we have regular things like that that just happen you know when you're at work happiness doesn't tend to be a factor of work because we're there to be productive we're not there necessarily to be happy and so and again you know it's it's less about well am i happy that i'm working and it tends to be more about well, i have a job and the job requires me to perform certain tasks therefore i have to complete those tasks which again is very understandable happens for most people happiness just doesn't tend to be the thing that we focus on when we're there so when it comes to then studying happiness is where there's a whole whole range of things that we need to consider around it you know, we need to consider in what context do we want to define happiness do we want to think about happiness in our personal lives do we want to think about it in terms of our marriage our friendships our relationships that we have with our children with our partners with our parents with society there's so many factors about what, what or different ways or contexts for in which happiness might need to be thought about we also need to think about well how do we balance the need for happiness against other things such as the need to work and the need to live and the need to um yeah have to perform certain everyday ongoing tasks so that all has to that has to be thought about as well and so it really you know once you start to think about it you really do realize that when we talk about happiness we're talking about very specific moments then in 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 most cases we're probably talking about regular moments or uh, moments in different ways when happiness can happen and that's then where things become really complicated because what may be what might make one person happy may not be the true may not be true for somebody else which is why it can be really hard 
to some to to read about work from people who have sought happiness and think they have the answer to happiness because they will only have the answer according to them whatever they've found and whatever they've realized in life is valuable and it's important and it's insightful that doesn't necessarily mean that those same things will be relevant for you as an individual doesn't mean that those same things will help you to find happiness in the same way so here's a couple of um, thought experiment type questions for you at what point in the day do you tend to find that you are happy what kind of life events can you think back on that made you happy in the last week what made you happy who makes you happy what is it about that relationship that brings happiness to you those questions i hope start to get you to think that there's there's quite a few factors actually around this that we can we need to start thinking about i'm i'm a bit concerned about the that when people talk about trying to find happiness that they talk about it as if it's something that once you find it you can hold on to it and we know from both life events and from studies and research that has been done into this area that happiness as i described is a transient emotion that means it can come and go quite easily and when it does come and go quite easily it means that it can't be held on to so what may make you happy at one moment half an hour later you may experience something which draws you away from that happiness so that's quite a tough thing you know and also when you start to think about um happiness in terms of mental health and if people are suffering mental illnesses different types of mental illness can elevate or destroy happiness in different ways in a very stereotypical way people who are uh suffering from a mental illness such as depression will often recount that they find it really hard to focus on things that are happy or to have happiness at that in those periods of deep lows and you know um debilitating uh, bad thoughts it's just too hard so we need to be careful about how we think that happiness can suddenly be turned on it can just you can just flip a switch uh, in some way which is not how happiness happens we know this we know that it tends to be because something unexpected has happened and it brings joy to you if you're not in the state of mind where you can experience that then how are you meant to find happiness and not just find happiness but how are you meant to experience it because you're not in a state that's ready to receive that so i think that can be quite i think there's there's a lot of challenges here when we talk about happiness and how we talk about happiness and we 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 and we often try i think what we happens is that we use the term happiness 
to describe other states or other emotions that we're just not finding the right words for. So, for example, if we talk about what's going wrong in a relationship, we'll, it can often be couched in terms of, I, I'm just unhappy. That's, and that's okay as a, as a starting place to be able to uncover what, uh, as a starting place to be able to uncover what you might be thinking and feeling in a broad sense. And as you start to uncover what that actually looks like, it tends to be quite a few other things. And the first place that you've arrived at is that I'm unhappy because all of these other things are happening and they're not happening in the way I want them to. So the compounded effect means that I'm unhappy. Which is quite a which is quite a thing as well, right? It tends to be how we describe many things. I'm unhappy at work. I'm unhappy with my relationship. I'm, I'm unhappy in with the food I'm eating. I'm unhappy with the relationship with my my mother, my father, with my children, with my friends. It tends to be quite a deep-seated thing. And, it, and unhappiness, I think, is a compounded effect of other things. Likewise, I think that when we talk about happiness, it's a, a actual emotion that we think conveys a feeling of how we're feeling in different situations. I'm happy with that piece of work. Okay, that sounds like a really good thing. What was it about that piece of work that made you happy? And you might start to uncover other things which the term happiness is providing a catch-all for. Things such as pride, things such as an achievement, those different types of words and feelings and emotions bring about good feelings. They bring about healthy, positive feelings. And it's important to recognize those. And not just that, when we talk about things such as happy marriages, it tends to be because there's quite a few things that are going on, which are all working in the right way. You enjoy the company of your partner. You have good stability with each other. You have trust with each other. You enjoy spending time with one another. You have similar interests. And you know, the list can go on. And when you start to put those things together, you realize that they collectively allow for and create happiness, which is great and wonderful. And when people have that, it's such a lovely feeling. And when, when scientists, uh, psychologists have tried to study the area of happiness then, what they've realized is that it's quite a complicated affair. It's a very multifaceted thing. So you can measure it. You can measure how happy you are. And that's good. And you, if you want to be able to try and do that, you can seek out tools that help you to think about that. And it's, I think there's always the... I think we, we always have to be aware of and mindful of the fact that how you're feeling at the moment you're completing a certain type of tool or questionnaire or something that might reveal if you're happy or not will only be a snapshot of time. It doesn't mean that there's a permanent or disorder going on that you're not happy at this moment. It doesn't mean you can't be happy tomorrow. It doesn't mean you can't be happy later this evening or next in the morning. So... One of the things that really interested me in this area is when I started to research, 
when I started to read about the topic of positive psychology and Martin Seligman's work on um, in his book Flourish, he didn't talk about happiness as a concept. He did, but he didn't talk about how he studied it because he realised that you can't study it, not in a way that's helpful to people. You can talk about it in terms of, like I described there, those compounded effects of if you are happy or unhappy. But you can't, it's not something that you can seek to measure over a longer period of time because of its fleeting nature. Instead, what he described is that you can think about well-being and resilience. And when you think about well-being and resilience, you can measure those. And you can measure the types of activities you're doing that help to raise those aspects or diminish them in different ways. And that's where things start to, I think, start to, that's when you start to be able to understand that you can affect what you're doing in your life. I think one of the key things that I've learned over the years is that when we talk about happiness and when we talk about what we, that we want it, one of the things that we forget is that we, we are determinants of what that looks like and feels like. I think there are quite a few people who expect happiness to happen to them. I think what they can also be forgotten is that if you want to be happy, you have to seek it out. And in seeking it out, I think you also have to be mindful that it's around healthy activities and not harmful activities. So, for example, I've, you know, I know from personal experience in the family of a family member who suffered with alcoholism and he was so addicted to it that he it was his only route for happiness and he didn't want to take he didn't want to go through counseling or therapy to help him overcome it because he didn't see that they were going to help him he didn't see that there was a lifestyle choice there that started the addiction and once the addiction had kicked in then it's too hard to break out of it. And and when you're in that addicted state, all you're looking for is that next hit. And the same is true of any kind of drug or any kind of other habit or problem that you might have. Gamblers face the same problem where they become addicted because they're looking for the next hit of the win. So when we're thinking about the behaviours that we choose to follow and when we think about actually I can make the choices I need in order to affect whether or not I'm happy is when you also start to realise I might need to make some choices I just didn't know I was ready for or I may not be ready for and I don't know how to make those choices. So for example you may realise that you have a friendship which is actually quite destructive to you that your friend is always requesting things of you, that they may be demanding your time in different ways. They may be trying to get you to do certain types of activity you don't want to do. And they're harmful to you. They might also be harmful to that friend. But because of the duty that you may feel that you have towards your friend, or because of the... Um, because they are just the fact that you might call them your friend, you may feel that you can't change what that friendship is. 
And time and again, I've seen that you can do that. And it is not only possible to do that, it is healthy to do that. It is, and and it's a mature choice to make, to be able to do that type of activity as well. And this isn't true just of friendships though. This is also true of pretty much most aspects of what we do with our lives. In the last episode of the podcast where I talk about my own personal journey with self-care and what I've done in that space, I learned quite through a lot of different types of activity and it took me a number of years to realise that there are ways to be able to make choices that allow me to experience good things over a longer period of time and when I do that it allows for me to experience happiness more readily. But it took me a long time to get there. And like I said, my journey was mine. Right? That was Those were the things I figured out I needed. Everyone has... To, if you're interested in wanting to be able to really purposefully make a difference with your own levels of happiness, I think you have to realise that the choices you make are quite fundamental to that. Everything from what you choose to eat, what kind of work that you're doing and whether or not you can affect that, what kind of relationship you're in, and if it's a healthy one and how that's working for you. What kind if you have children, how you are with them as a parent. If you are physically active and what that kind of activity looks like. How you're involved in different other engaging activities, either to do with community or society or political movement or religion or anything like that. All of those things make a difference. And this is where I found it really interesting that Martin Seligman's research, his research focused on what he called the PERMA model, P-E-R-M-A. And what he spoke about here was that you need to think about five different aspects of well-being and resilience. When you think about those five different aspects... And the reason he chose them is that they are all independently measurable. They are concepts that can be defined independent of each other. And collectively, if you can bring them together in some way, it allows for longer periods of increased good feeling. You feel well over a longer period of time. You feel more resilient over a longer period of time. So what is the PERMA model? The P stands for positive emotions. He said that we have to understand how to articulate positive emotions. We have to be able to know how to reflect on them. And we have to know how to express them as well. So when you're, if you're feeling good about something, that's really good. If you're feeling good about something, that is a good place to be. And it's not just about feeling good about something. He says what you should try and do is take the time to think about, but what is it about this moment that helps me to feel good? I'm feeling good and I want to continue that. So right now, let me just experience it. Let me just be in the moment, be present, enjoy this moment and allow that to be a continued good experience until it naturally starts to move on to something else. Having done that, once you've experienced it, once you've enjoyed that moment, is 
how cool is 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 then taking some time to think about what was it about that that in, that I enjoyed? Was it because I was with somebody? Who was that person? What made it? What is it about that person that helped me to enjoy it? Did we have a shared experience? Was it that they were happy and I enjoyed them being happy? Was it that they did something for me and I enjoyed that there was an appreciation of me there? And when you start to think about it a bit more in that way, you start to re- understand that, okay, there's a way I can usefully think about what helped me to feel good. And then it's also about articulating it and expressing that to somebody. And this is, I think, an interesting piece around how marriages and relationships can be strengthened and maintained is that it's not just important to tell our partners that we love them it's we we also need to spend the time saying uh, expressing why we love them what is it about them that we love and enjoy about them that we cherish that we appreciate that we hold dear about them because when a person knows that that's what they can live up to and And I think the expression needs to be done in a way of proper appreciation as well and not in frustration. When it's expressed in frustration, it it becomes about um, a resentment of some sort. And I'm talking in the sense of appreciation where we want the other person to know that we really appreciate them. So I think that can be really interesting because when we start to understand that we are experiencing a positive feeling, that we're present, that we allow ourselves to really fully experience that, and then afterwards take the time to think about what was it about that moment that I really enjoyed and then being able to let that other person know if it was with a person why we appreciated that and what was important about it and it may not be with another person right whatever it is it could be that you've been to see a film that you really enjoyed and then it's important to think about but what it was it about the film what kind of messages did they share that really resonated with you it might be an activity you've just done what was it about the activity that you enjoyed in, 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 and why did it bring you happiness? And around this as well, and this is the reason for the title of the podcast, The Three Good Podcast, is that we can cultivate a way to help ourselves think about the good things more regularly so that we're more likely to notice them when they happen. And the experiment that was done here was asking a group of people to reflect on their day. And they were given different sets of instructions. One group was just asked to reflect on their day, just journaling it at the end of the day. A different group was asked to reflect on what were the things that went well that day. And what they found is that by journaling, um, the group that just did the journaling, they didn't report any anything broader than um, just regular feelings of um, well-being and regular feelings of just resilience. Nothing increased or above or below what they had stated before they carried out the activity. The group that set out to do it, who were asked to th- think about the things that had gone well, they had report after a period of time, they reported higher feelings of well-being and resilience. And what I really appreciate about this as an activity is that it's it's been done in that way it's not been done in terms of a i think this is going to be a good idea it was done with the intention of well does it have an impact does it actually cause you to think differently and the outcome of it was that it does 
it's not just the act of journaling which is important that is important just the act of journaling is a really good thing to do to be able to help you make sense of your thoughts but to influence the positive feelings that you may be having it is important to take that further and think about things that have gone well in your day and the common exercise that people are asked to do around this is to think about three things that have gone well for you that day that can be anything you know i see people write all sorts of things on twitter they share the hashtag three good things and when you check it out there's some lovely things that people choose to share in that space I know many people who do it privately, that they enjoy just keeping it to themselves and having a journal of regular good things that are happening for them. So that's the reason for the title of the podcast. But it's, and that's because it's linked very closely to the concept of positive emotions. And how do we cultivate that? And how do we in, in, keep nurturing it so that we experience them, we allow ourselves to experience them on a regular basis? And that it's not a lot it's not something which we leave to chance chance is always a wonderful thing by the way and i'm not saying that we need to not trust that things can naturally just happen i'm just also i think what's important about that type of activity and the way it's been uh, helped and uh, it helps for different people and the way that it, it has been researched it helps us to know that we can make those choices we can make those active choices to change how I interact with myself, how I understand what it is that I enjoy. And this is why I was saying that it's a very personal thing. Doing an activity like this helps you to notice trends and patterns in your own behavior, in your own thinking, in your own activities, that you will really start to notice that, oh, right, if I'm doing this kind of thing and it makes me feel good and I'm enjoying that and it's not harmful to me, not harmful to anybody else, then I should try and do that on a more regular purposeful basis and that may be something which we just haven't realized before or it may be affirming in that oh, I always thought it did help me to feel good now I know because I've been reflecting on it in a really helpful healthy way so that's what the P part of the PERMA model stands for positive emotions the E is, a, is about engagement and what the way this was described is that it's about engagement in, in doing something. That when you're so involved in, in, uh, in an activity, that you lose yourself to the time, to the space, to the thinking capacity in some respect, and you're just immersed in that activity. You're so immersed that you're, f you're, 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 you're just allowing time to just move quite freely and it's a, also a concept known as flow, which has also been researched quite, um, quite thoroughly and is, uh, is, is well written about, which helps us to know that if I can get into a state of flow, if I can get into a rhythm of working where I don't notice the time go by, I'm, I come out of the activity and I'm feeling energized. If I've spent time doing that and i don't mind that i spent time doing it and it's not been at the detriment of anything any other part of my life that's a good thing to be able to do and i think this one can be a bit hard for some sometimes for people to consider because you have to think about well what is that i sometimes call this the third place which is around 
If your first place and your second place are occupied by work and home in different ways, and they should be because we have regular good activities that happen in the workplace and in the home environment that are important for us to be able to live and continue to you know, um, just be as humans, then what's that third set of activities that are about your own fulfillment, your own nourishment, and that lead you to be a, a fulfilled person? I think that's quite a question. I think that's quite a set of questions. And we really need to think about them. So what is that for me? And it's taken me personally ages to think about that. What I've realised that my third place can be a number of things. It doesn't. It's not just one other place. When I go skiing, it is my absolute true third place of I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I deeply enjoy it. I don't go because I'm trying to do the hardest runs or make uh, or, or try and get some amazing times on ski runs or anything like that when i go i just enjoy being on the snow and gliding on these sticks attached to my feet and the the clean air the freshness the beauty of the environment i'm in is also fulfilling to me and that you're at the mount you're on the mountains and the views you have are stunning and amazing and I, you know I, I get romantic about it and i start talking about how this is the home of the gods and you can see why but when i'm there and i'm experiencing that i'm thoroughly in that moment and i realized that that is my true third place but it can't, it's not something I can sustain. It's not something I can keep doing every day because clearly it's an expensive affair as well. So I had to really think about, well, what are my other things I enjoy doing, me personally? And I landed on two other things mainly. One is that I enjoy writing, which is why I keep a blog. Because it helps me to express myself and just let, let my thoughts come out in a helpful way. I've always done writing in some form. When I was at college and I was in my teens... I was always writing some kind of short story or something. Later in my 20s, I tried to write longer form short stories. And then once I started blogging, I found there was another outlet there. And, I, and that was a good and useful thing for me. Over recent years, I've tried to write a book. And that's been a healthy and important experience for me. So the writing itself has always been something I enjoy doing. And then the other thing I realised that I really enjoy is I thoroughly enjoy watching films. But I really enjoy going to the cinema. And what I really realised, I like going to the cinema by myself. I never knew I did. I never knew I enjoyed doing that until I started trying. And that can sometimes feel a bit isolationist. Sometimes that can, you know, you, you say that to somebody, you say it out loud, and it can feel like, well, that's just not a societal norm that you go to the cinema by yourself. Well, it might not be, but it's something I know I enjoy. And actually, I've realised that there's quite a few people who do like to do that. But I like to do that because it's me, my own time. I just get immersed into the film. And that's something I, I really do thoroughly enjoy doing. So when I'm doing those types of activities, I, I, I recognise them for what they are. They're, they're me fulfilling and nourishing myself. So I wonder if that I wonder if that's a way to be able to help you to think about what that is for you. When are those moments that that you feel nourished that you do the activity 
when you're doing it, you don't notice that the time has gone. You don't notice that you've invested energy into doing it. That actually you come out of it and you're feeling better for it. And that it's nourished you and that you feel fulfilled in some form. The third aspect of the PERMA model is about relationships. Which probably isn't surprising. It probably is not a surprise that our relationships determine how happy we are. And in particular, there's a lot of research done into the field of what makes marriages happy. And not only researched through um, psychological methods and through therapeutic methods and through counselling all and all that. You know, people have written about this and think about this constantly. Married couples can tell you yeah, whether or not they're happy because of the quality of their marriage. And so it's an important concept which we do know impacts how happy we are and how transient we can therefore be because of the transient nature of relationships as well. And so what they tend to look for in the relationships is certain types of interactions. And it's those certain types of interactions which determine how how much enjoyment the couple are likely to have with one another. But then it's not just about marriages, it's also about the quality of friendships as well. And whether or not the friendships that you have in your life are helpful to you. That you have friends who take the time to spend their time with you, that they get in touch regularly, that they are a regular part of your life. And when you do have time with them, they help you to feel better. They help you to be a better person, a better version of yourself. You know, I, I, I know from my own personal, again, experience that over the years, I've had a number of friends. And when I've had different types of friends, I've realized that some friendships are better than others. And I've realized that I can determine whether or not I want to spend time in a certain type of friendship because of the types of conversations I'm having with that person. Some, and I've often come to a realization that there's a certain type of person I just don't want to be friends with because they're not going to help me to be my best self. And so I think it's important for us to question and think about who am I surrounding myself with? You know, and I think also in this digital age, we really need to think about what's the quality of the online relationships that we have as well. Who are the people I'm talking to online in the digital space that help me to be a better version of myself? You know, if you're ending up going into your digital environments and you're finding that you're being, you're coming out of that experience and you're feeling worse than when you went in because you're more angry or you're more upset or you're more sad then arguably the way that you're interacting with the tech and the media and also the types of people that you're talking to are probably not the kind of people that are going to help you to be your best version of yourself. And so I think there's some real questions there we need to really put into um, proper thought. Um, well, how do I make that better? How do I change what I'm doing in that digital environment so that I can be a better version of myself? And personally, I've found that what I need to do is if there are certain people who I know that I will struggle to get on with and interact with and connect with in the digital space, I minimize completely how much interaction I choose to have with that kind of person. And the, the benefit of the digital environment is that's your choice. 
it is completely within your remit and your control and your power to be able to make that choice. I don't have to explain that to anybody because I'm willingly entering that space. Not because there's an obligation for me to be there, but because I choose to be there. So if I choose to be there, I want to make sure I'm spending that time in a good way for me. So, and, and again, like I said, I don't think it's a surprise that it is a quality of our relationships that help us to think about whether or not they are a good thing for us. And that can be personal, you know, our, if you're a comp, part of a couple, if you're married, if you have uh, your friendships, what kind of friendships you have, the digital environment, also the work type uh, relationships you have. And, you know, there's a lot of people I know who try and do work in this space, who try and do work in this space. And what they're trying to do is help people to have better connections at work. The CIPD Northern Area Partnership Conference I was just at the last couple of days was talking about the human-centric workforce. I think that's an absolutely valid thing to explore in terms of what does that mean? Why should we be trying to explore something like this? What value does that hold for an organization, for a business? And there's lots of good thinking and exploration in that space. And I really value that. So when we think about the quality of the relationships, I think that's the key piece. Yeah, it, I think it's less about, well, is it, are you doing this type of activity? Are you doing that type of activity? There's lots of things that a couple can choose to do together, that your, your friendships can, you can do with your friendships that you can do in the workplace. And it's less about what you're doing, although in some cases it is important to make sure you are doing certain things. And I think it's more important about the quality of those connections and those interactions. And that determines how good I feel over a longer period of time. You know, do they help me to feel better? Do they help me to be a good version of myself? And if they're not, how do I change that? What are the choices I can make around that? So then the fourth aspect of the PERMA model is around meaning. And this is an interesting one. I really, I think this one is often overlooked. And it's around not necessarily what meaning do I have in life, but where do I derive my meaning from? Who helps me to have a sense of meaning? Where do I find that kind of connection with others that helps me to feel like I belong? I think this one, when we talk about meaning, it's around the sense of belonging, connection, community, society. How do we, how am I in those different spaces? And when I think about those different spaces, what's my involvement with them? Am I an active part of those different environments? If I am, in what way? Am I just somebody who wants to just be part of that community and take part in the different things that are being carried out by the community? Because that's good. Every, every community needs that. We need our willing people to who, are, who enjoy being at the events or the things that we hold. Am I someone who wants to be an active part of that community or the group or the movement in some way that helps to lead it and shape it? Because if I have that level of engagement with it and let that level of connection, then it must mean I have some kind of level of meaning and belonging there that I really want to explore, I really want to get myself involved in. And so this is, I think, also where, you know, the importance of groups such as religious groups and 
community groups can really start to, we, we can really start to understand why they're so important is because part of it is that they help people have belonging and meaning and sure that's around some sense of spirituality in the case of religion and I think at the same time there's a fair group of people who aren't going to who aren't part of their uh, religious events for the religious aspects or for the spiritual aspects they're there because they want to be amongst other people and I think that's okay yeah I think that's perfectly a good and healthy thing to have is that you have found a way to be able to be with others in a place that helps you you can derive meaning from it and you can really enjoy that space So I, I think this is an interesting set of thoughts, and you know, again, I've found that I can I've been able to direct that for myself. I've been really fortunate and privileged in this space that I've been able to connect with a group of professionals who want to really think about our profession in a really purposeful way. That we hold events, and you know, I do this through those of you who know me professionally. I do this through L and D Connect, and we we help to hold events in person, we hold regular Twitter chats, and I think those types of communities are important. I find a lot of meaning in that. I've, and actually, as I reflect on it, over the last 20 years, if not more, I've always been part of some kind of community, some kind of group. And it's because I enjoy that interaction with others. I enjoy being a part of a group. And by the way, I don't think this has got anything to do with whether or not you're an introvert or you're an extrovert. I think this is just about the fact that you derive meaning by having a connection with other people. So I think that's important. And I also think it's important that we think about this in terms of the work context as well, that sometimes I'm do sometimes you may be doing work and you don't have a connection to that work. That can be okay and it probably is for many people because they're there to do a job. They're not there to have fulfill a higher purpose other than look, I just need to earn the money, I don't really care whether or not I have a deep connection to the work. And at the same time, there's a group of people who are definitely very invested in the work they're doing, be it because it's a charity or a not-for-profit organisation or a community-based organisation or whatever it might be, or you're volunteering or whatever it is. And when you're doing that, you've got natural advocacy, enthusiasm, energy that you're putting into it. And at the same time, there's a whole group of people who are just there to do the job they're there to do. They don't want meaning. They don't want to have to find meaning in their work. They just want to know they're doing a good job. And I think that's an important recognition. You know, we, can't, we can't make people find meaning in their work. That's just not something we can do. We can help them to achieve and fulfill work. And I think that's... And you know, we can help them to be productive. And I think that's an important thing you know that that's what helps to drive an economy is that people are willing to make sure they do that so i think there's a, a a good set of stuff we can really think about in terms of you know those types of connections we have with communities with groups and how we choose to be part of those in different ways and then the last aspect of the perma model is about achievements which is something i was really surprised about when i read because you wouldn't have thought that an achievement is an important aspect of well-being. But of course it is. 
Because when we are when we achieve something, when we put in effort, time and energy and we're able to perform at a high level, well that's a really great feeling. Because then you've you've done something, there's been an outcome that you've been directly responsible for and your direct actions have enabled you to have a positive outcome. You've achieved the thing you needed to do. You know, there's many people I know who go out and they do running and they try and set themselves different times, different personal bests for their running activity so that they are constantly pushing and achieving more for themselves. I think that's wonderful and amazing when they do that. I'm trying to do that with my, with my swimming currently, where I, I, I get to go swimming on a fairly regular basis through work. And when I go, I have about 25 minutes and I try and see how many lengths I can do. Currently, I've got to 16. I was doing 12 when I started. I'm happy I'm currently at 16. I recognize I can probably push it a bit more. I need to improve my technique. I need to improve the way that uh, my breathing works. And so there's a number of things I can work on. And hopefully I'll start to increase and push what that is. And every time I do, I, I achieve something. When I'm working and I'm still fairly new in my job, eight months in, and there's still a good range of projects where I can show that I'm achieving stuff, I am being productive. And when that happens, I feel good. Last week on Saturday, I was in the driveway and I had the, um, I had the uh, scraper out and I completely de-weeded the whole driveway. It took me about four hours to get around and do the whole thing. My back was not, uh, did not forgive me the next day, but I achieved something for sure. I have, a, I have a maintained and tidy looking garden and I do enjoy that. That does make me feel good. And I think it's interesting that sometimes we can forget that it can be something like that which can help us to feel good. And also it can be some of the important stuff as well, such as uh, whether or not you've bought a car or whether or not you've purchased a, a new fridge or you've managed to get the mortgage approved on the house. You know, all of those things are really good, big achievements. And they should be celebrated. They absolutely should. I think what we can forget is that we can also celebrate achievements along the way. And when we celebrate achievements along the way is when we will also continue to feel good about ourselves because we're not building ourselves up to only feel good at once a certain point in time has been hit. I think that's often quite arbitrary. I think it's often unhelpful because then we set the expectation that I can only be happy once that milestone has been hit or once that thing has been achieved. That's just not how life works. We do lots of things along the way which are small achievements and those small steps help to get us to the ultimate aim. So once we get to the big goal, it's been because we've done lots of very good things along the way. So, for example, when somebody is able to save up and put a deposit down on a house, it's not the completion of the, it's not the acceptance of the mortgage and the completion of the sale that is the achievement. It is the achievement. Of course it is. It's a, it's a very big thing. It's also the recognition that you've only been able to do that because you've saved for however many years to get to that point. That's seriously impressive because that requires a lot of discipline, a lot of clear and focus on what it is that you want to do and how you want to get there. So we should definitely celebrate the things that we're doing along the way. 
And the thing I really like about the achievement aspect is that it's, it cultivates a, when you celebrate the regular small achievements along the way, it really cultivates a sense of, I am good at doing stuff. You know, I think it's really easy in this day and age that we get very caught up in, I'm not doing good enough. And often that comes because, again, in the digital environment, we see that there are very many other people who are doing what perceives to be and living what perceives to be a good life. And sometimes we can unfairly measure ourselves against those people and forget that, actually, I'm doing some very good things myself. And so when we look at our own stuff of what I'm doing, how I'm achieving all of that, I think it's only right and fair that we balance that it's not in unfair comparison against other people. You know, everyone is their own level of awesome. Everyone is doing things as best as they can. How I get to where I need to for my goals is not going to be the same way that other people do that. And although someone else might be able to help my thinking, I've still got to act on those things myself. I've still got to make my own choices about how I get there. And when I get there, I have to be able to have the right kind of thinking and people around me and the support around me that helps me to know that I've got to a great place. So I think that's, uh, I think that's a, a useful way to have explored today's topic of you know, whether or not happiness is the thing we should be looking for. If it is, then I think there's the realisation there that it's not... It's often not just one thing that will make us happy. There are a number of things in life that will do that. And I think also we can think about that. It's There's a number of factors to it. And I think Martin Seligman's PERMA model is a really good and useful way to be able to help us explore it. Because it's about things that we can actively take hold of and recognise that we can do more with those different aspects of our lives. And like I said, you know, right when I was talking about this right at the beginning, it is about those active choices that we make. You know, we are, we are in this life to live. And to do that, we have to recognise that it is around the choices I make that help me to live that in a particular way. If my life is in a certain mould and in a certain way, and I don't want it to be that, then I have the control, I have the power to be able to change that. That's just not always an easy thing to do. It is very much easier said than done, particularly if you're in a hard and difficult time and space. Yeah, even more so if you're in a situation where you have that control and power taken away from you. So this is certainly not a, I, I do not see this as a um, something that is necessarily available to everybody because sometimes we have also very distinct things we have to work out. If if you are in that kind of situation where it is truly hard to find a way out, then it's quite appropriate to make sure you have the right kind of person around you who can help you and support you and get you through those types of events. So I'm going to leave it there, folks. Um, I think that's been a good exploration of stuff. I hope you've been having a good weekend so far, and I'll catch you on the next episode.